Reading for our text tonight, we'll look in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, beginning at the first, first verse, Leviticus 23, reading verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Today in our culture, when we think of a feast, we might think of a special meal or dinner. I think of Easter dinner, Christmas dinner, of course, Thanksgiving, maybe a wedding feast, a a birthday dinner. Some of these are planned for several weeks or maybe even months. I don't know about you, but if, if I go on vacation, I probably look forward to the food the most. And send, I end up eating so much that I feel sick the entire vacation. I look forward to these uh, feasts in our culture as well, Easter and Christmas, Thanksgiving very much. I, I don't know what you had today. We went to my in-law's house and I started to wonder if my mother-in-law was going to make that particular ham that comes around at Easter time. Now, you know, usually ham is just sort of ham. I've grown up having ham from time to time, but there's this uh, in particularly special ham that she makes. And I wondered and asked Allison about it, and we weren't sure, and there it was at the table this morning. We were excited, or at least I was excited for sure about that. We also had pot roast and a number of other things. I remember one particular uh, youth camp where Brother Wayne showed up midweek with maybe 15, I believe they were Chinook salmon, and it was campfire night at youth camp, and, and each salmon he positioned on a, on a wood trellis, he seasoned it, and, and each trellis was on, oh, it was maybe a two or three inch stick, and all of those salmon were placed around the fire, and they were cooked on an open pit, you might say. The whole camp feasted on salmon that night, and there was something extra special about the flavor of that salmon. It's hard to describe. It uh, it, it sort of basted itself as it cooked in, in, in that, I guess, a traditional manner, and uh, the seasoning and, and the juiciness, I will never forget that feast. The Bible teaches us here about seven infinitely more important feasts here in this particular passage of Scripture. Many of our uh, Bibles, our study Bibles, might have a, a title over this section of Scripture, maybe Uh, The title says, The Feast of Moses, or fittingly, The Feasts of the Lord. This word uh, that's translated as feast or feast is is vastly or enormously uh, more significant beyond what we would identify with a feast we might say today. In fact, these feasts are, and they were to predict or prophesy in advance the most important dates and periods of time in human history. In fact, these feasts of the Lord, they represent history in advance. And you notice in the second verse, uh, God, in speaking to Moses, he says, these are my feasts. 
It's like God is, is telling the children of Israel, let's be clear here. And why he's saying they are my feasts, because they were feasts that could only be fulfilled. And they were destined and prophesied to be completely and fully fulfilled by Jesus Christ. They can only be fulfilled by Jesus. And as we look through them, you can see that they are filled by, fulfilled by Jesus when he came the first time. And, and Jesus Christ will fulfill all of them perfectly at his second coming, which we believe to be on the very cusp of. If we look at the word that's translated as feast or feast plural here, it, it's nine times in this particular chapter. And if we look at what it means, if you look at the original, it means an appointment or an appointed time. That is to say that God keeps a calendar. We know that God keeps books in heaven. There are books of remembrance. There's a book of life. We learn and see that God is a God of order. But we find uh, through reading through this that God keeps a calendar. Details matter to the Lord. So we can say that, in a sense, these are appointments that God has made with humanity. If you look further at the word feast, it also means a festival, a, an assembly, or literally a gathering together of the people. In verse 2, he calls these appointments as holy convocations. He uses that word convocations. Convocations here means a meeting or assembly or a dress rehearsal. Now, if you've ever been a part of a dress rehearsal, like for a concert, many of us have. You want to get through the dress rehearsal without stopping. You want to get it right, right? And, and you want to do and say and sing and play in a manner as if it's the real thing. You want to get every detail right. And really, in a sense, that's what God is commanding the children of Israel here to do by way of Moses. That they would keep these festivals, these feasts, or these seven appointments uh, with the Lord to represent what Jesus Christ would come and do and fulfill on earth one day. What an exciting day it was when Jesus rode in Jerusalem on that donkey that we heard about last Sunday and, and Brother Dave reminded us about on Friday night. Just as the prophet Zechariah wrote about how he would do it and what an exciting it would be, time would be for the children of Israel. If we look at Daniel, he had prophesied that the Lord himself would present himself to the people as Messiah the Prince back in Daniel 9.25. And Daniel even says on what particular day it would be. The excitement from the people, they cried Hosanna, which as we were taught means, Lord, save us. They probably sang from their national hymn book. Psalm uh, 118 says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He goes on to say, Save now, which is meaning Hosanna. I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Well, we know that people missed it. Because at this very same time, the high priest was selecting a lamb that would be sacrificed at Passover. And in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 23, 
the Lord speaking to Moses says, these, these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. The Lord, by way of his feast, is predicting when Christ would go to Calvary, when Christ would be sacrificed, sacrificed, when Christ would do the work on Calvary for your sins and my sins. And of course, this typically falls in March or April on our calendars. In Exodus chapter 12, when God uh, commanded Passover to be kept, he said that a lamb should be chosen on the 10th of the month. So prior to the day that Passover took place, and as they took that lamb, they were to inspect it to ensure there was no spot or no wrinkle on that lamb. And if I understand correctly, they would take the lamb and bring it into their household, and they would tie it to the doorpost of their bed. And over that period of time, they would inspect that lamb or that goat to make sure it was without blemish. So if we could picture in our minds as Christ rides in to Jerusalem, presenting himself to the people, the lamb is, the, the, excuse me, the high priest is making a procession of the lamb up to the temple mount to be inspected. And little did the high priest know that he would later inspect Jesus as well. The Gospels record as you go through that Jesus went through six trials. And in fact, if you look at the law, a lot of the trials that he went through were illegal by what their law said. The high priest was not allowed to rent his clothes. They were not supposed to bind a prisoner without a conviction, even the way that the witnesses were brought. It was against their law. It was an illegal trial in the first place. God allows Jesus to go through Annas, who was a former high priest. Then he goes through Caiaphas, the current high priest, a father-in-law. Then Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, his third trial, which was the group, the religious leaders. He appears before Pilate the first time, the Roman, the Roman governor, and then Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee, and so that's a different jurisdiction, so he sends him to Herod. Well, Herod, he was happy to see him. He had heard a lot about Jesus. Herod goes on with the military there to mock the Lord. They put a robe on him and send him back to Pilate. And so Jesus appears before Pilate a second time, which is his sixth trial. John records in chapter 19, verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came forth Jesus wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. There is no fault in Jesus. The perfect sacrifice has been confirmed. Jesus is perfectly and concisely fulfilling the feast of the Lord, a feast that was proclaimed many, many years before. The Bible teaches us that it was done perfectly according to plan. At the third hour of, day, of the day, which would have been 9 a.m. in the morning, the lambs were being prepared for the sacrifice. So the people would bring thousands of sacrifices up to the Temple Mount, but there was one in particular that the high priest did here at Passover. In Matthew 27, uh, 27 through 31, it talks about the crown of thorns being placed on our Lord's head. 
A reed's placed in his hand. They spin upon him. After he has that robe put on him and he's in such terrible pain, they put his clothing back on him, his own raiment, and he's led away to be crucified. In Matthew 27, 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. Details matter in the scriptures. 3 p.m. is the very hour that the high priest would have been sacrificing the lamb at the temple mount to fulfill Passover. So on that day, both an animal and the actual lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, is being sacrificed on the hill called Golgotha. You know, when the children of Israel placed the blood on their doors back at the deliverance, they did it in the shape of a cross. We've learned that. You know, crucifixion had not even been invented yet. God was teaching in advance to the children of Israel what Christ would do. Christ was not mimicking what they did, but they were looking forward to how Christ would perfectly fulfill his plan of salvation for all humanity, not for a select group. It says in Matthew 27, verse 46, in about the ninth hour, there it is again, 3 p.m., Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And many think that at that moment, the sins of the world were put upon Christ, and there was a separation between God the Father and, and, and Jesus the Son. We can't understand or comprehend how, although we know that God cannot look on sin. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. The feast of Passover, the Lord's feast, had been fulfilled. Matthew 27, verse 51, it says, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, and from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. What a time that would have been. There was a May way a way made, excuse me, for you and me to the Holy of Holies. Jesus had done the work. His blood had been shed. All that needed to be fulfilled had been fulfilled in order for us to have access by way of our high priest, Jesus Christ. In Leviticus 23, verse 6, he says, And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. Unto the Lord seven days must he eat unleavened bread. Now, a lot of people would refer to this first group of feasts all as Passover. But this was a second feast. In fact, the scripture says here that there were three days that males were to stand before the Lord. in this feast of unleavened bread, which was immediately after the actual Passover feast on the fourteenth uh, day of Nisan, was one of those days. The others are Pentecost and Tabernacles. And, and leading up to these days, you know, we get the term spring cleaning. Well, they would actually search their house for any leaven. There was a period of time where they would search to see if there was any yeast throughout their house, and they would clean literally from top to bottom of their house, searching for any leaven, which we know represents sin. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, in regard to this subject, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 and 7, he says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? 
Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Paul is saying that even a little bit of sin separates us from God. Any portion of sin, he says, basically ruins the whole lump. To put it bluntly here. But he uses this term, purge out. And it means exactly what we might think it means when you look at the original. That means to cleanse thoroughly. How can we be cleansed? Well, he goes on to say, as I read, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So he's saying that by way of the blood of Jesus Christ, the old, the old leaven, the sin can be purged out. And we know at Passover, a piece of bread was taken and rent in two, representing the broken body of Jesus Christ. And the two pieces were taken, and, and one of the pieces would be wrapped in a linen cloth and then hidden in the household, representing that Christ went to the grave. He was wrapped in linen, and he was put in a tomb that ended up being empty on Easter. And we can see how it's fulfilled here by Jesus. Jesus, in his death, represents the unleavened bread because he was perfect. He was sinless. He was without spot. In fact, in Hebrews it says, let us come therefore boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need because Jesus made a way. In John 6, 35, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. This is a, the kind of bread that Christ gives us. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And in verse 48, Jesus reiterates it saying, I am the bread of life eternal life, representing that perfect uh, type of bread that we want to receive. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I like that. You can eat of it and not die. That sounds supernatural. It's because it comes from heaven. In verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Jesus made a way for sins and sin to be cleansed. He'll forgive us of our sins and he will cleanse us of our sin nature. As Paul wrote, purge out the old leaven. Christ made a way by way of his precious blood. So we see here that Jesus is fulfilling the feast of unleavened bread by way of his death and burial. The third feast in Leviticus 23, verses 9 and 10, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give unto you, ye shall reap the harvest thereof. Then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. This was a particular feast that always took place on the first day of the month. Excuse me, the first day of the week, Sunday. If I understand it correctly, as they would wave an offering before the Lord, they would wave it up and down, left to right, representing a cross. Paul, writing again to the Corinthians, said, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Verse 21, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. For every man in his own order, even the first fruits. There's that word again. Afterward, that they are Christ's at his coming. What a hope. 
Christ rose from the dead in his own power first. And because of that, we have hope. That's what we do. At, that's what we celebrate at Easter. Because Christ is the first fruits from the dead, we have hope that one day we will rise with him. Well, what did we experience in our heart when he saved us? He, he gave us a taste of eternal life. He gave us a, a, a little bit of that taste of what it will be to live with him for eternity. Imagine when that expands to our entire physical being and spiritual being in a manner that we can't even explain or understand. It will happen because Christ is the first fruits from the dead. The songwriter wrote, Because I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. We will rise again supernaturally with the Lord. In his power, in his strength, nothing that we've done, but because he came and fulfilled it all perfectly according to his plan. Glory be to God. Moses tells, or excuse me, God tells Moses in verse 15 through 22 to write about his force feast. We know it to be, of course, Pentecost. And this was to happen 50 days later after the resurrection of Christ. We know Pentecost literally means 50. Luke writes in Acts chapter 2 such familiar words, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We know that there were many visitors here at Jerusalem at this time, and obviously there would be because this was the second feast where all of them were required to appear before the Lord. Verse 9 says, There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Kyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Peter goes on to explain because as they heard what they heard from the apostles as they received Pentecost in Verse 15, he says, But these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. That would have been 9 a.m. This would have been the exact time of the morning sacrifice for Pentecost. The time in which the Spirit of God filled the disciples, the apostles, as they tarried, would have been the exact time in which the sacrifice for Pentecost would have been taking place on the first day of the week. He says in verse 16, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. The church age had been born. The dispensation of the Holy Spirit had, been, had begun. The dispensation of Grace, we might say. The spring feasts had all been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. We're still living in this time period. Don't we want to take advantage of the time period that we're living in? Christ had predicted that the Spirit of God would be poured out, and as the disciples tarried in the upper room, and at this particular time, the whole point of the feast was the point towards what the Lord would fulfill. Christ has made a way. 
We know in Leviticus chapter 23, there are more, three more feasts known as the fall festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of uh, the Day of Atonement, very familiar in the scripture, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And we know the Lord fulfilled the first four perfectly according to plan, and we know that God will fulfill the next three perfectly according to his plan in his way. You know, we believe that the Lord can come back at any moment. And we believe that these uh, fall feasts will be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everything that's happening in the world today is obviously pointing to the imminent return of Christ. The indifference, godlessness, lawlessness, wrong is right, up is down, down is up. This is exactly what was predicted on how the world would look at Christ's second coming, the time of his second coming. You know, the Feast of Trumpets in the scripture was said to be a, a time of the blowing of trumpets, and there were many blasts of trumpets that were blown at this time. And, and many believe it could be that the Lord in the rapture will fulfill this feast. We don't really know. We do know that the scripture is clear that no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica about the rapture, he said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. This is not a brass trumpet like we might envision, but it would actually be a ram's horn, a shofar. We find in Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We want to hear that trumpet. We want to be listening for that trumpet. We don't want to miss it. We cannot overstate how important it is that we make the rapture. And what was the point of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit to prepare a church for the rapture? We know that the Day of Atonement, it's fulfilled when Christ comes back at his revelation because he comes back with a white robe on and his saints with him. And we want to be with the Lord at that time, don't we? Between the Feast of Trumpets, there was 10 days of affliction leading up to the Day of Atonement. And in the wilderness, the high priest would put white robes on and they would do a dress rehearsal where they would follow him around the camp until the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies. And we know in Revelation and in Scripture, it talks about the saints coming with Christ. And, and we know that the purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish people. And Christ will come back for them at his revelation. The tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. The church does not go through the tribulation. The point is, we've got to make it. We've got to make the rapture. We've got to be ready. We have to make sure that our robes are spotless, our spiritual robes. And if you don't know if you're ready, if you don't know the Lord, the whole purpose of these meetings, these gatherings virtually in person, is that you have a relationship with Christ. He, he went to great measures. He was tortured. He was executed so that we might have life in Christ, so that we can have a hope, and so that we can be resurrected with him one day. We know that the Day of Atonement is the sixth feast, and we know that the seventh feast is fulfilled during 
the millennial reign. In fact, Zechariah says in Zechariah 14, 16, and it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which come up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That's during the millennial reign. Christ will literally set up his kingdom on this earth. And, and you can read about what kind of uh, dimensions, that kind of uh, uh, temple will be. It's one that's never been uh, built before. It's written about in the final chapters of the book of Ezekiel. So we can't notice that when the Lord fulfilled Passover and those spring feasts, how quick things happened. And I want to submit to you tonight that we're on the very cusp of the Lord's return. And when he begins to fulfill these final feasts, it's going to happen very quickly. That means that we can be in the final hours, the final minutes even, of human history as we know it. If you look at the scripture, the rapture takes place. We know that the tribulation begins when a covenant is signed. There could be a time period, a gap there. We don't know how long. The scripture doesn't explicitly say, but we do know that what kicks off the seven-year tribulation, it's a covenant or a treaty that's signed. And some people focus on who's the Antichrist and so forth, and we shouldn't even focus on that. We're going to be gone. We have to make the rapture. It doesn't matter other than that we make the rapture. That's our focus. We want to be right with the Lord. We want to be sanctified. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? The whole point is that we might make the rapture. It is no accident that the earth's been around about 6,000 years, and the 7,000th year will be the 1,000 millennial reign. And it's no accident that about 2,000 years ago, Christ came to earth, and so we're on the cusp in human history of the third day. Jesus is coming back. That's the focus here. That's the point. Even as Brother Wayne encouraged us this morning, Christ came the first time. He's coming back the second time, and we have to make the rapture. What are our affections set on? What's our hope in? What is our trust in? It will all happen very quickly. Are you ready? Are you watching? Some of this you may have heard for for the first time. All that matters is that you have a relationship with Christ. Do you know the Lord? And if you feel bad in your heart and you feel uncomfortable, we believe that's the Lord speaking to you and talking to you and dealing with you. And I'll tell you, when you have an experience with Christ where you ask for forgiveness and you repent of your sins and, you, and, and basically you surrender to the Lord. If, if you don't know how to explain it, all we can say is that surrender your life to the Lord and the Lord will come in and he will take the heavy end. He will forgive you. A, an eternal transaction will happen in your heart that will keep you forever. That's what Christ does at salvation. And we encourage you to be saved tonight. If you're not sure how to pray, ask somebody to pray with you. Pray at home. Pray in the pews. Pray around the altars of prayer. We encourage you. You want to be ready. We want to make it. We want to see everyone there. We want to be at the feet of Jesus, as Brother Wayne mentioned this morning, all together. We want to be there. Look for me around the throne. We want to make it, and we can make it. Thanks be to God, because Christ rose from the dead. We have hope. The song is 487. Let's have a time of prayer.